You would be seated and if, take your Bibles and turn to the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. Today we'll begin reading at verse 15 through the end of that chapter, verse 23. And this is a prayer that Paul prays on behalf of the Ephesian church as he has just recounted the many blessings the Ephesian Christians have already experienced in the glorious riches of Christ being granted to them through the gift of faith. And so Paul prays this prayer, verse 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all the Word of God. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would give us insight into this prayer that Paul prayed that the Ephesians might have insight, more insight, into the glorious riches of your grace. Cause us to be thankful for your saving work in our lives. Cause us to want more, more growth, more of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. We were privileged last Sunday to join hands and link arms together and do something that is going to make a difference in the lives of children somewhere in this world. We gather together for the the Christmas child uh, packing party. And we packed 60 or so boxes that are going to be distributed to needy children in parts of the world. And I think there's a, there's a way through technology to find out where most of our gifts go. I do not know what you spent on your wow gift for those of you who participated. What did we spend, Renee, 10 bucks or so? for a uh, soccer ball and a little pump. And then when you add the expense of all of the other items, I don't know how many items that we had, this several tables just full of stuff, and how they all fit in those little boxes is a miracle. But nonetheless, they all fit. I don't know how much the box cost, but I've, what, I, what I do know is this. For everyone here today that the cost is almost or is an incidental expense. We probably lose that amount of money 
in a given period. But those boxes, as they are distributed, will bring a child much delight. In fact, we were shown a video that detailed past Christmases where these boxes were distributed, and we saw the delight and joy in the lives of those little children as they received these Christmas boxes. Reason for them to give thanks for such a special gift. But human nature, in my experience with human nature and other people and my own human nature, informs me of this. Somewhere in the world, some child will get his box and he'll rip it open and he might want more. Or he might want what Joey or Susie beside him got. He might want that soccer ball and pump that he didn't get. I mean, isn't that true with you and me? That we receive a gift, or we just simply receive a provision of God, and we want more, or we want something different. And here's a principle. You can take this to the bank, and it'll, it'll earn interest, I'm sure. Here's the principle. That when our selfishness kicks in, and we want more, it will hinder our giving thanks for what we already have. I think that's a basic principle. But it doesn't apply to this prayer. Because one of the, I'm going to say, cool things about this prayer to me is the Apostle Paul does exactly what I just told you not to do, what I don't want to do myself, is to out of my selfishness, want more, and that hinders thanksgiving. Notice what the Apostle Paul does. So I think the principle's true, so don't get on me for giving you a bad principle. But this is the one exception to that principle. The Apostle Paul gives thanks in this prayer. But it, it is as if he's not satisfied. He prays for more for the Ephesians. But notice what he prays for. He prays for more of Christ for them, more spiritual growth, more sanctification. And so when we give thanks for what God gives us, we should be dissatisfied not to stay there. We should want more. We should want to progress in the Christian life. I just think that's interesting about this prayer. And so in light of human nature that I think has some interesting, that, that, that hinders us giving thanks, this is the one area of life where wanting more doesn't hinder us from giving thanks. In fact, it's what we should ask God to do in us. And so the outline is very simple. It's on some page in your bulletin. I've already forgotten which page it's on. It's this very simple. Thanksgiving and supplication. Those are the two parts of this prayer. Paul giving thanks and then Paul asking of God on behalf of the Ephesian church. And so we want to explore those uh, two uh, areas 
uh, today, beginning with uh, Paul giving thanks for the Ephesian uh, Christians. Now, I think this is also generally true. I'm just about general truth today, but maybe you'll disagree with me. But generally speaking, parents want the best for their children. And when a parent, when a child grows up and the parent's desires for the child's best actually come to fruition, when the child succeeds in in the best sense of the word, what, what does the parent do? Well, the parent is grateful and thankful. And this is most importantly the case when a Christian parent raises their children with the goal of them loving Jesus and following after Him. Now, this is not always the case, but yet for a number of us here today, our, our little children grow into adulthood, and there may be some rebellion, there may be some wondering, there may be some concern, but, but they eventually own the Christian faith, and they, they follow the Lord. And what, what does the parent experience? The, in the heart of the parent, there's this gratitude that wells up to overflowing. Not gratitude over, my goodness, we were such good parents. No, gratitude over the mighty work of God in the life of that child. And I think the Apostle Paul is speaking here as if he were the spiritual father of these believers in Ephesus. And he gives thanks for all that they have in Christ Jesus as they have now grown up to follow after the Lord. And I just want to look at several things about this thanksgiving that Paul prays here. First of all, the backdrop. Notice what he says and the, the, the very first words in verse 15, for this reason. Well, for this reason functions very much like therefore, when you see that in Scripture. It causes us to look back at what has just been said. And what has just been said is what we've been studying for these three or four Sundays, verses 3 through 14, where the Apostle Paul explores the glorious riches of God in Christ Jesus. The plan of salvation, the work of redemption, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, all of those wonderful realities. And the Apostle Paul has that in the forefront of his mind as he now thinks of the Ephesians in light of the glorious riches of Christ Jesus that they possess by grace and through faith. For this reason, well, what is the reason? The specific reason is that the Apostle Paul, according to verse 15, has heard of the faith of the Ephesian believers. And he's not only heard of their faith, but he's heard of something else. That their life manifests or demonstrates 
the reality of possessing saving faith, and, and that is summarized in one word, a life of love. So here the Apostle Paul, for this reason, all of these saving benefits of Christ have been given to the Ephesian church. And I thank you, God, for their faith, the faith that you've given them. And I thank you for the life of love they are living as a result of saving faith. So let's look first at Paul's gratitude for their faith. In verses 3 through 14, the, the plan of the Father, verses 5 through 6, then 7 through 9 would be the work of the Son, and then 10 or 11 through verse 14, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in sealing and securing that, that believer in that finished work of Christ. In other words, God saved those Ephesians in the way that Paul has described in verses 3 through 14. God brought them to possess saving faith in Jesus Christ. And he breaks forth in thanksgiving to God for the saving work of God in the life of these dear believers. And here's the logical response of, of saving faith. It is praise and thanksgiving. You know, maybe you've been in during your quiet time or private worship or whatever you call it, when it's you and the Lord and, and you're rejoicing in Him and, and, and maybe someone that has recently been converted comes to mind, the most natural thing to do is to break out in gratitude to God for His saving work in that person's life. Maybe you're praying and meditating upon God's work of grace in your life and the most natural, logical, practical thing to do is to break forth in praise and thanksgiving unto God. And, and that's what the Apostle Paul does here. As, as he is in prison and he's in prayer, he's reminded of the Ephesians and, their, and by God's grace in saving them, and he gives thanks. But he's also reminded of the fruit of saving uh, faith, verse 15, love. And I think love summarizes and is a, is a label for all of the results and, and outworkings of saving faith in the life of a person. James 2 teaches that true saving faith is never alone. It is, a, it is accompanied by good works. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 reminds us that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. And Paul's point there is that we, we are not saved by our works, we are saved by the work of Christ for doing good works, for bearing fruit that is consistent with saving faith. And then in Galatians 5.22, that passage of scripture that details for us the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul says, those who walk by the Spirit, those who possess saving faith, those who have the Spirit indwelling them and operating 
in them will live lives that are characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They will bear fruit that is consistent with the realities of God's grace at work in their life. And so the Apostle Paul remembers the Ephesians, their faith, their, the fruit that is born in their lives because of God's gracious work, and he gives thanks. Well, that's the reason. And what about Paul's practice? He says in verse 16, I do not cease giving thanks for you. What do you make of that? In other places in Scripture, we read about continually being in prayer. Well, I can't continually be in prayer. Can you? Or can we? I can guarantee you one thing. If you need me to do something for you and you come to my office and Tim's in prayer. Say, oh, I'll come back. You come back an hour later and Tim's in prayer. At about the third time you come back from me, you're going to be a little upset with me. I can't pray that much, right? Now I'm being a little funny here. Maybe not so funny. Please laugh. <laughs> it's always good to laugh at my jokes that aren't funny. I just really appreciate that. But here's the point I want to make. It's not that, that Paul is saying, all I do is pray and I do nothing else. No, but he's in a continual state of mind that is given to prayer. I just love the fact that, that we can just stop and pray anytime, anywhere. If we're at a grocery store and someone we meet someone and they have need, we can stop and pray right there uh, you know, by, by the Twinkie aisle and, uh, and, and pray. I mean, it's, it's incredible that, that we're just continually, our state of mind is prayerful. And we're given to prayer. In fact, I believe, now, some Puritan said this, so this is not mine. And so if you don't like it, you can blame some Puritan. I can't remember who said it, but I remember reading this. It's true. I read it. That this, this Puritan said, it really is better to pray many times throughout the day, short arrow prayers, than to sit and pray some big prayer in the morning, fall asleep, and never pray the rest of the day. See, your, your mind is in a state of prayer, and I think that's what Paul is saying here. That his mind was in a state of prayer, not to mention the fact that he was under house arrest. And so he was providentially hindered from being busy about the, the task he would normally be about because he was incarcerated. And he providentially had the time to commit himself to prayer. I'm not suggesting we go out and get arrested so we can pray more, but it's interesting that the Apostle Paul made the most out of being under arrest. He prayed. And when we think our ministry is over because of physical limitations or because of illness or sickness, we can pray. And that's not second-rate ministry, is it? Prayer is powerful because God ordains the prayers of his people and he sovereignly works through those prayers. And so the Apostle Paul, as he is there in prison, is in this, this state of mind of prayerfulness, remembers the Ephesian church. He breaks forth in praise to God and thanksgiving to God for his saving work as, as he explores in verses 3 through 14. And he breaks forth in thanksgiving and praise for the, for the fruit of 
saving faith being manifested in the gift of love, living a life of love there in Ephesus, loving one another and loving the lost, and he gives thanks for that. Well, I've experienced this lately. Over a month ago, we had a feed the funnel party. Remember that? And just this past Sunday, we had a Christmas child packing party. Boy, do we like to party here at Covenant. Yes, thank you, Gavin. I appreciate that. Gavin was with me there. And, you know, I, I, I just stepped back in both of those events. And I watched you, those who have received the saving grace of God in Christ Jesus, manifest the reality of that gracious work in love. Loving the hungry in central Arkansas by packing those meals. Loving needy children somewhere in the world by packing those boxes. And I gave thanks for your faith And I gave thanks for the demonstration of that faith, your love for people that you'll never meet. Gratitude for the saving work of God in the life of fellow believers. Gratitude for the fruit of that saving work in the life of other believers. We need to be praying prayers of thanksgiving like Paul for one another. And the second thing that Paul talks about is that he, his heart just welled up with thanksgiving uh, for God's work in the Ephesians' life. He remembered their faith. He remembered their fruit. But like any father, he wants the best for his children. He wants more for his children. And the Apostle Paul prays for deepening faith, for greater faith, for more love, for more holiness, for more. So Paul asked God, To do more spiritually. Well, let's look at the goal. Paul asked for spiritual growth in the life of the Ephesians. Remember I said that that Paul dealt or explores the the work of the Trinity in verses 3 through 14. And he he prays in light of the Trinity here in verse 17. where Where he recounts. Just all that he said in verses 3 through 14, the knowledge of the plan of God the Father, the knowledge of the work of God the Son, knowledge of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and securing and, 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 and sealing. In other words, what, what Paul is praying here is that they would know more of these glorious realities that are the gospel. And look at uh, chapter, if, 
at, one, at some point we'll get to chapter 3, and we'll see something interesting in a prayer very similar to this prayer in chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul prays for the Holy Spirit to strengthen the inner man of the Ephesians. And I would suggest to you that's a prayer of sanctification. And in reality, Paul is praying the same thing here in chapter 1. God, grow the Ephesians. Enable them to be more obedient, more invested in ministry, more giving, more knowledgeable, more clinging to Christ. He's praying for more. Brothers and sisters, may we not be satisfied with where we are spiritually. May we not be satisfied with where the church is spiritually and our brothers and sisters are spiritually. May we pray for more. And I say that on good authority. Paul. What is the means of this more that Paul prays? Well, he qualifies the goal of praying for more. He speaks of the spirit of wisdom. Of course, he's referring there to the Holy Spirit, the one who gives insight into the Word of God, the, the doctrine of illumination. Look at what he says in, in the first part of verse 18, that they may have, their eye, they may have the eyes of your heart open. That's so beautifully descriptive of what the Holy Spirit does when He comes and opens the eyes of our heart that we might understand more the glorious truth of God in Christ Jesus. And with regards to this means the Holy Spirit, I want us to understand and it's not that you don't understand, but just simply be strengthened in this reality. We must be dependent upon the Holy Spirit in attaining more. All right, I study scriptures, that's my job. And I've been trained, I continue to be trained. I'm a student of exegesis, interpreting the scriptures. And I've been doing this for a long time. And I want to tell you that it is very often that I study a passage of Scripture that I have exegeted at some point in the past. And it is as if I have just studied it for the first time. It's not because I've gotten new revelation. It is not because... Uh, that I'm trying to make the Scripture say something <laughs> that, that they're not. But either I was not dependent on the Holy Spirit as much as I should have been the first time I studied that passage, or maybe today my life situation is different and that passage kind of takes on a, a new uh, meaning uh, to me. Same truth, not new revelation, but the Holy Spirit works and gives me new insights. Have you experienced that? And so it really matters not how much training you have as a biblical scholar. In fact, that can be a problem because biblical scholars rest in their biblical scholarship and not in the real source, the Holy Spirit. The greatest thing that I, the greatest disservice that I can do for you is to step in this pulpit independent of the Holy Spirit. 
I may have all the exegesis right, may have the Greek words parsed uh, front and backwards, forwards, upside down, and all inside out. And if I'm not dependent on the Holy Spirit, and by the way, if you're not dependent on the Holy Spirit in hearing, the word is still true, but yet the eyes of the heart will not be open and it will not be receptive. The point I want to make with this means of the Holy Spirit is we're absolutely, totally to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit for more understanding and insight into the glorious riches of God in Christ Jesus. And the second thing is this. The Christian life is one big continuing education course. Did you know that? Many of you have to do CE, CE credit hours, you need 30 or 40 a year. Not in the Christian life. The whole thing is continuing education. The whole, we are learners, lifelong learners. And here's the, here's the great thing about what Paul is praying <laughs> for the Corinthians. They'll never not stop needing more because no one can exhaust the Word of God. We can study every day, every minute of every day for our entire life and still not exhaust the Word of God. And it just reminded me of how much we depend upon the Holy Spirit and how often we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit because we're always learners. We're always learning more Embracing Jesus more. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. The absolute necessity of depending upon the Holy Spirit in desiring more for ourselves and for our fellow believers. And what is the curriculum? What, what is the course of study? What, what types of things does Paul suggest we focus on to, to deepen faith? Hope. Verse 18b, the hope to which he has called you. I think this is referring to effectual calling. The electing purposes of God in eternity past, the external call of the gospel, and the proclamation of the gospel, the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit and giving us a new nature so that we can respond in repentance and faith to that gospel message. And then through that faith, justification, adoption, the process of sanctification, even all the way to the end, glorification. The hope is this. God saves sinners and he saves them to the uttermost. And Paul is saying... Know more of that saving work of God. Be a student of it. And the second thing is riches. We only know more about that hope. God saves sinners and saves them to the uttermost. But also to know more of the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The second, the middle part of verse 18. We ought to pray for ourselves and others to know more of what it means to be an heir of salvation and to have that ultimate inheritance, 
Christ himself. And so we pray for more. Embracing the riches of God in Christ Jesus. And then power. Paul prays for the Ephesians to know more of what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. The first part of verse 18. Paul prays for more belief that we would believe more. The last part of verse 18, A. And, of course, faith is the conduit through which we receive all the saving benefits of Christ and the the blessings of God. But he also prays that we would know more of the power that God pours out upon his children. And so we pray, Lord, grow us in faith and grow us in power. And I want to spend the rest of our time just drilling down for just a moment on this, this aspect of praying for power. Look at what Paul says in verse 18, that this power is according to the working of his great might. And what Paul is doing here is that he is going to describe to us the quality of this power that is displayed in the great might of God, that we might be given more to pray for it and to have confidence in it. And what does he say is that this this power is supremely demonstrated in the great mighty working of God in a number of situations. And he enumerates them. The first part of verse 20, in raising Jesus from the dead, the power of the resurrection. The second part of verse 20, in setting him at the right hand of the Father in heaven as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The power of the ascension and the enthronement of Christ. In granting dominion, the Word of God says in verse 21 that Jesus has been given dominion, absolute rule and authority, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion among all created beings in heaven or on earth, and whose name is above every name among all created beings on earth or in heaven. Jesus has dominion. He is over all. And uniting all things under his feet and in establishing him as head of the church. Now, why did Paul go through this this litany of realities that describes the mighty works of God that demonstrate his power? I believe it's simply this, that the power that brought about the mighty works of God in these things, like the resurrection, the ascension, the enthronement of Christ, granting him dominion, bringing all things under his feet, is the very same power that is available for us to live the Christian life. Have you ever thought of that? That the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power available for you to be faithful as a spouse, to be dutiful as an employee, to be diligent in your worship, to be engaging with this culture, to serve the least of these in our world? 
It's the same power. And so when we pray for power, we're just simply not praying for just a little more oomph in my tank. We are praying for the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that enthroned him in heaven, that is bringing all things to be unified under his rule and under his feet. And so we can pray with confidence in the mighty works of God that is his power. As we seek more, I can pray for you with confidence that God's power will flood your life. I can pray for you that God's power will flood your life and grant more. I can pray for you that God's power will enliven your life and give you more of Christ. Dr. Henderson writes this, the reign of the resurrected and ascended Christ over the entire universe is in the interest of the church, his body. With such a Christ As the eternal foundation of its salvation, the church has nothing to fear. Its hope will be realized. Its inheritance fully enjoyed. The power of God will bring about the purposes of God in giving us his riches in Christ Jesus and making us heirs with an inheritance and that should make us thankful and that should make us want more of Jesus well maybe you remember the little bracelets that um, were popular several years ago and uh, (laughs) they're the Let's see, I've got to think about this as as I'm saying it, because I've got several renditions of this, so so I may get confused, but WWJD, what would Jesus do? Do you remember those bracelets? Well, quite frankly, I never really, I mean, Jesus, be like Jesus, but but Jesus really isn't an example for us to follow. He's our Redeemer. I actually think a better understanding of that is, let's see, WWPD. What would Paul do, right? Because Paul's one of us. <laughs> In case you haven't figured out, I ain't Jesus. So. But Paul is one of us. He might be the greatest one of us, but he's one of us nonetheless. So I think it makes sense that we say, hey, what would Paul do? Paul said, imitate me, right? I mean, in one sense, he's kind of the spiritual daddy of the Ephesians, and we could say he's one of our spiritual daddies too. So what would Paul do? Well, now say, WDPD. I'm telling you, I need help. W-P, no, W-D-P-D. What did Paul do? This is what Paul did. He did a whole lot of things. But for today, this is what he did. He prayed for the Ephesians. He gave thanks. And he prayed for more. More power to have more of Jesus. That's what Paul did. 
Did I say that something was cool earlier in the service? I'm going to say it again. This is cool. In a sense, I think, over 2,000 years ago, with Paul under house arrest, praying for the Ephesians, we could basically take this, Paul is also praying for you and me today. as a spiritual, spiritual heritage of the Ephesian church. Now, that's cool. That's powerful. Well, W-S-W-D. What should we do? I'll tell you what we should do. We should do what Paul did. You want this church to be a different church? You want our worship to be more worship? You want our ministries to be more ministry? You want your brothers and sisters to be more? You want yourself to be more in love with Christ? Thank God for what we already have in Christ Jesus. And pray for more. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving my dear brothers and sisters here today. And I pray, oh God, that you would give us more. More hope. More power. That we might grow and mature. Give us more love. That we might demonstrate the realities of your glorious work of salvation in each one of us. Oh God, we pray. Your work is sufficient. When we pray for more, oh God, we're not praying for Jesus to do more. We're praying that you would enable us to receive more of him, embrace him more, love him more, serve him more, live for him more, love one another more, minister to the lost more, minister to the least of these more, worship you more, more sanctification, more. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.